turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Wow, God's here today. I really didn't. I'm ready to preach this, teach this message to you. But I really didn't have a, a title or a key focus out of this chapter until this morning in prayer. And the Lord began to talk to me about a passion for standing. Look at your neighbor and say, a passion for standing. And let's start that out by standing for the reading of the word of the Lord, please. A passion for standing is what God talked to me this morning. And when I talk about a passion for standing, I'm not just talking about a passion for us standing for Him. I'm talking about a passion for His standing up in us. I want God to stand up in me. I want God to stand up in you. Hello, somebody. So a passion for standing in the name of Jesus. You'll, you'll see it as we go through it. Hallelujah. How many of y'all got a passion for standing? <laughs> if you got legs, stand. If you can. <laughs> Brother Raul, we believe in you can someday. <laughs> Hallelujah. I believe that. Sister, sister uh, Celia's just standing right now. She, she said, I'll stand. Hallelujah. I know your name. Just give me a minute. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> God is good. Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto him and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your awesome and powerful and majestic word today. Thank you, Lord God, for your awesome presence among us. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And everybody said amen. amen. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Which is standing, a passion for standing, which is awesome to me because Sister Angie, the Lord gave her the song this morning about standing. Stand up, what is it, all the words? Stand up and give him the praise. And I didn't tell her to get that song ready. So God talked to me about standing in the prayer room. He talked to Sister Angie about getting that song ready to sing today. So I, I'm excited because Jesus is still with us. <laughs> now that might not mean much to you, but that means a lot to me. <laughs> I want to know that he's still standing in me. Because if he's not here with me today, he's not here in you today, he's not here in this house today, we might as well close the doors and go home. If it's just about us coming in here and having a club or a meeting, we might as well go home. Because that's not what the church is about. We need to have Jesus stand up in us. You need to have Jesus stand up in you today. And so anyway, we're going to focus on that. And I praise God that the Lord talked to you, Sister Angie, and gave you that song. Because God is with us. I'm excited. Hallelujah. It doesn't take much for me to get excited. You know, God just give one word. That's all I need. Or one song. And man, I'm, I'm ignited, you know, at that point. And we're also glad to have Luke Jacob with us this morning, right? We got a new uh, member of the church, Luke Jacob. <laughs> Sister Priscilla and Brother Furman have a new addition to their family, and we're excited with them and for them. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for Luke Jacob. 
I knew as soon as I walked in that something was going on because I walked in and I saw a big old crowd of people over here in this little corner. And so I, I thought to myself, there must be a baby in the house somewhere because that's normally what happens. But anyway, we're excited for them. Now, when you look at this book of Acts, we're talking about the passion of the early church. Back up with me, please, and let's go to Acts 2 and uh, verse 45. Praise God. Uh, let's back up to verse 44. And all that believed were together, say together, and had all things common. Now, a lot of people use this verse to preach or teach communal living. Which means that simply you sell everything you got when you come into the church. Sell everything you got and just kind of move into a community together. That is not what this is teaching. This is not grounds for that teaching. The Bible does not teach communal living. The Bible teaches independence. Now you need to know that because if you don't understand that and know that, you'll be very gullible Jesus' name. Now, I'll explain this to you in just a minute, all right? This, this is something at the beginning. This was like an emergency situation. This was a, a time of crisis, if you will. It was not the standard that was established by the church. Communal living was not the standard established by the church. Are you here? Okay. If it was... We better sell everything we got, get together. Do you hear what I'm saying? If this is a doctrine, an established doctrine for the church, then sell everything you've got and move to 500 Elliott Avenue. Do you hear me? Why is it that when I say things, we, we have a tendency to, to doubt that, but yet we are not doing that? What I mean by that, if you believe in communal living, all right, and you believe this word establishes that, then why aren't you doing that? Because it's not a biblical, it's not a biblical establishment. Hello, boy, I got you thinking now. Some people just like to just disagree. You know, they like to just disagree with a preacher. They do. I'm telling you. I can stand up here and say that speak that to you and you just to find a way to disagree with me but yet you are not doing it anyway you are not living in a communal society right now but you want to disagree with me that's all right <laughs> god's good but anyway all that all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Say in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now go to Acts chapter 4. All right, the Bible says there in verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things, what? Common. 
And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Which means to me he stood up. He stood up. He's risen. Rise up. Right? Stand up. That speaks of resurrection. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were, uh, were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution, say distribution, was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, or son of a prophet, King James interprets it, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, say Cyprus, Cyprus. having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then that precipitated a problem in the church. Ananias and Sapphira want some of the attention that he got, so they lied to the Holy Ghost, which we preached about last week, right? So what I'm telling you is that this was not wrong what they did. What I'm saying is it caused problems. I said it caused problems. That's why I'm telling you it's not an established thing. The Word of God, when you look at the book of Acts, it, the tense of these statements are not... Forever. They are not eternal situations. The tense is they did it in the past. Is, so, is, is the way you read that. This is what they did at the beginning. This is what they did at the first. Is, is the, the context or the way it's spoken here. It's not something that should be going on, going and on, going and on, going. If it was then, why did God allow it to come apart under the persecution of Saul? Because when Saul comes up and he starts persecuting the church, he scatters. The whole church is scattered. Why? Because their communal philosophy of getting together and staying in Jerusalem was not reaching the world. So God said, listen, God steps in. He allows the persecution to take place to break this communal stuff apart. Not to keep it together, but to break it apart so they would get out and spread the gospel to the world. Do you hear me? And so from that point, this point on, when you have the persecution under Saul, you don't have this communal living thing going on. You don't see them go out into these other parts of the world and try to bring this communal living together again. Nor do you have the apostle Paul establishing it in his epistles. It was only a temporary situation. If it wasn't, I tell you now, every one of you go sell everything you got and bring it to the church and we're going to move into 500 Elliott Avenue. God had to put, listen to me, it was a present situation. People, the dispersed Jewish people from all over the world had come up to Jerusalem. And the power of Pentecost had taken place. And so the apostles are preaching and teaching. And so everybody that's from different parts of the world want to hear what they are preaching. They want to hear the preaching and teaching of the apostles. So they say, well, sell the land over there. I'm, in, uh, you know, Joseph's from Cyprus. said, sell my land. I want to stay here. We got all these people from all over the world wanting to stay there to hear the disciples. All right, you with me? But what I'm trying to show you, it was only a temporary thing that God eventually allowed to come apart. 
Because he knew that if it continued the way it was, the church would be destroyed. Because by the time you get to Acts 5, we had already seen the Sadducean persecution. But now we see a problem not from the outside, but we see a problem from the inside. Ananias and Sapphira. If that spirit, as we said last week, would have been allowed to continue, it would have destroyed the church from the inside. Now the enemy has a hard time destroying the church from the outside. So what he tries to do is try to get inside of the church. And that's what happened in Acts 5. Satan came to them and, and, and tempted them said, lie to the Holy Ghost, lie to God about what you've given. You see what I'm saying? So then this communal thing that they were doing was a temporary thing so they could stay in Jerusalem, hear the word of God, and no doubt believe that Jesus could come back any moment. So why, you know, why keep land and why keep property? Do you hear what I'm saying? And by the time we get to in this chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, then. That means there's been a change. Okay, are you here with me now? So Acts 5, we have a problem in the church because of this distribution. Hello. And now in Acts chapter 6, we got another problem. Due to what? The distribution. Look at it. Chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now this is not the Gentiles versus the Jews. When, what we're talking about is the Grecians are the dispersion that I'm talking about. These Jews that had been dispersed throughout all of the world who were not living in Jerusalem. They were called Grecians or Hellenistic Jews. Which means these are Jews against Jews that are in the church. You with me? Jews against Jews that are in the church. But we have the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews that live out there in the world, you know. I'm talking about geographically here. And then we have the Jerusalem Jews that are Hebrew Aramaic speaking Jews. Now it doesn't mean that these Grecians <coughs> could not speak Hebrew. They <coughs> no doubt spoke a little bit of Hebrew. <laughs> Why y'all looking at me like that? They spoke a little bit of Hebrew but they didn't speak it very good. In fact, when they spoke Hebrew, they had an accent. And so the Jerusalem Jews who are in the church, man, they speak Hebrew. And they are, you know, from Israel. Man, their home's right here. We're Jerusalem Jews, you know. <laughs> but you're, you're Hellenistic Jews. You've been swallowed up in culture. Now, listen, the Hellenistic Jew or the Greek-speaking Jews still believed in the Word of God. I mean, they've come in the church here. But see, um, there's a little bit of a prejudice going on here, the Bible says. Between them, because you're not a part of my club. Oh, hello. See, I, I'm glad, I, I enjoy looking at the early church because I see problems in the early church that there was not a perfect situation there. So the Bible said, and I read to you the first couple of verses, that the Grecians are murmuring against the Hebrews. Hello? Say murmuring. There, there's a complaint going on in the church. 
there's a problem going on in the church, and it's related to the distribution of this common, you know, bringing forth of these various sacrifices and offerings. Problem number two, as a result of trying to do this. Much less them just sitting there in Jerusalem and not fulfilling the Great Commission. That's the great problem. So I'm trying to show you it did not continue. It was only a temporary thing that brought problems with it. So then the scripture says there arose of the Grecians against the Hebrews, uh, the Greek-speaking Jews, and against the Hebrews, those are Jerusalem Jews that speak Aramaic and Hebrew, because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, y'all with me here? And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Peremon. Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased in the number of the disciples, multitude in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then, did you see that? Then, all capitalized in my King James. See, what God's trying to show you, he's trying to show you something here. That what we have is a present situation that's fixing to change. Now, let me just address this because I know in people's minds, they think that the church is an institution that's supposed to be basically, you know, feeding everybody and clothing everybody all the time. That is not what this is teaching. Some people try to use it for that, but that's not what it teaches. Now, listen to me, church. People have needs. And at times, they have crisis in their life. And so if they are a brother or a sister in the Lord, in times of need and crisis, I say times. I didn't say all the time. The normal, the normal is not to always having to be supporting the people in the church. That is not normal. That is abnormal. But from time, say time to time there is a place for you to open your doors and let somebody come and live with you for a little time there is in for time sometimes a person has a need they have a crisis in their life they need food clothing help whatever so in time then we will help them but I am telling you it's for time and for time only because what a lot of people are trying to do in the American church is real gullible along these lines I said they're real gullible. Hello, somebody. If you, uh, listen, the Bible said if a man doesn't work, he don't eat. Now, that's what the Bible said. Christianity teaches the independence of the person. Once we get you in the kingdom, hello, somebody. You know, we, we preach, teach you, give you tools. Tell you, get out there and get your job, work, be responsible and all that. That's normal Christianity. Because if you're not a good citizen, you will not be a good church member. 
I will say it again. If you're not a good citizen, you will not be a good church member. So the Word of God is to equip you to be a good citizen, a good, come on, to be an independent person. Not independent of God, not independent of His church, but independent in the sense that you have your own little hut. You have your own little job. You have your own little family. You got your own little kitchen. You got your own little food. You got your, you know what I'm saying? That's what the Bible teaches. So say for time and only in times of crisis, only in times of crisis, it is not the normal setup. Are you getting this? Now, if you make this an ongoing thing, an eternal thing, then what you're going to have is people knocking on your door all the time. Now, you give them and you give them and you give to them and you give to them and they don't want to work. They don't want to be responsible. You come on, they don't want to take care of business, so you just keep giving to them and you give to them and you give to them and you give to them. They will end up hating you. The reason why they will begin to hate you is because you have taken their independence away from them. And they have now become dependent on you. Are y'all hearing me? I'm, I'm firing about this. I'm not playing games when I'm talking here. This is serious stuff. It almost destroyed that early church. God had to come in there and let that thing fall completely apart to get them out there into doing His will and His purpose. Hello, somebody. So look at your neighbor and say, it's for time, and it's only for an emergency, and it's only for crisis. It's never to take away the independence of the person. No, the Bible does not teach that. You know, I've got two problems related to that. Ananias and Sapphira. And also now the Greek-speaking Jews versus the Hebrew-speaking Jews over how that's distributed. So the church is full of problems over that issue. And so God don't even let, us, let it continue because if he does, it's going to take the whole church down. That's why the word then comes along and there's a persecution that hits there because they want to just camp there in Jerusalem and forget the rest of the world, you know. And let's just have our little communal party. God did not continue it. Do you see that? I cannot stress this enough. Because, and I say that because so many of us, we love Jesus, but a lot of times we are gullible. I said we are gullible. Now, some of you don't like this, but I'm in the book, honey. And, and what I'm telling you is the holy word of the living God. It did not continue. Look at your neighbor and say, it did not continue. And if you think it did, prove it to me where it did. God broke that thing apart by persecution. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that we don't help each other. Come on, somebody. You have a need or a crisis. That's not what I'm talking about here. But this stuff that goes on that tries to make the church the, uh, what would you call it, the welfare system is not Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I promise you that if you make this church dependent or you become dependable on your food stuff and your clothing and all these things, you know, to take care of your needs and you, hello, somebody, 
then you will hate this church. Oh, you don't think so, but I know so. You give to a child constantly, all the time. You will spoil that child. And eventually, although it has all these things, they will hate you. And they will say, well, how? man, I gave you everything you ever wanted. That's the worst thing you could ever do for that child is to give them everything that they wanted. They will hate you for that. So y'all got the point, right? So all I see is a problem resulting from this, this thing. Now, again, it was for a temporary time. It was a time where they wanted to hear the Word of God. Jesus could come back any time, you know. So, well, let's just get together here, hear the Word. But, again, God had to break this thing apart. Because if He didn't, it would have stayed in Jerusalem. Are y'all getting this? Does this bless you? Are you blessed by, by the Word of the Lord today? So now, in the church, we got all this money. We got all this wealth. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about this one. <laughs> we got all this money, you know. And so now, we're going to have a fight over who deserves it. And who's going to get it, you know. And um, the Jerusalem Jews are over here. And so whenever, you know, uh, mama, uh, mama so-and-so, Mama Ben Zachariah down the street, you know, uh, and then we got uh, Mama, uh, a Greek name, Mama something Greek. Hey, Greek, give me a Greek name, Sister Angie. What's a good Greek name? A good Greek mama name. What? Anna. That, is, that, is that a good Greek name? Okay. All right. Hallelujah. That's a good Greek name. So we got Sister Mama Anna. <laughs> you know, she comes to the table, right? And she gets a, a, a half a loaf of bread, uh, but Mama Ben Zachariah, or no, that would be Ben. She would be a son of Zachariah. No, we can't call her Ben Zachariah. We just call her Mama Zachariah. <laughs> and she walks up there, and Zachariah is a male name. Maybe I ought to call her maybe, what would it be, Zachariah? How do you say Spanish? Huh? Zachariah? Okay, Mama Zachariah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Mama Zachariah comes up there and says, hey, uh, I'm here for my food. Uh, and so um, Mama Zachariah gets uh, a whole loaf uh, where uh, Mama Anna, uh, she only got a half a loaf. So now we got a problem here because the Jerusalem Jews are being partial to uh, Mama Zachariah. <laughs> And uh, what about Mama Anna? Well, she's a Greek-speaking Jew. She's, Hel- she's from the dispersion. She's Hellenistic. So, you know, we got a little bit of that stuff going on. We got a conflict going on. We got a problem going on now. And I know they're Jews. I know they're in the church. But see, they don't talk right. <laughs> Their accent is different from ours. You know, we're Jerusalem Jews. We're Hebrew-speaking Aramaic Jews, you know. And they, uh, they just don't talk like we do. And they don't act like we do and all that. So, we, you know, we're a little partial here to Mama Zechariah. <laughs> Hello, somebody. And so now they want to get the apostles on this. Because the widows of the Greek-speaking, you know, the Hellenistic Jews are being neglected in the daily ministration. Boy, I mean, you know, Mama, Mama Anna, she's not too happy today. <laughs> Mama, Mama Zechariah, she's really happy. Oh, yeah, look at my little man. <laughs> See, and so the widows are upset about this, this 
distribution, if you will. Hello. And they want to bring it on the apostles. And so the, they want the apostles to take care of this issue. And the apostles are not set up by God to take care of issues. They are raised up by God to preach the word of God. They are not set up by God to be table waiters. But I could hear the phone ring in one of the apostles' house. Pastor, apostle. Uh, my mama was mistreated today at the table. She didn't get what Mama Zechariah got. And so, Apostle, I need you to intervene in this right now. And I need you to take care of this problem. The thing is that these men are not called to deal with issues. And I said deal with all of these things of, of business and, and administration that's going on there. They are apostles that are raised up by God to declare the word, to pray, to get in touch with God. That's what their purpose is. And so, they look at them and say, no, first things first. We must give ourselves to the word of God and to prayer we're not going to deal with your issues all the time we're going to get we're going to preach the word of God to you and once we preach the word of God to you hopefully the word of God will speak to you about your life but we don't have time to be on the, now I'm not now don't take this wrong I'm not telling you don't call me I'm telling you this though that if you don't come to church and hear the word of God or if I preach the word of God and then you call me next week. I preach Sunday on something and you call me next week and I already dealt with it from the pulpit. And then you call me next week and talk, want to talk to me about that and take my time. You're wasting my time. I deal in the word of God. That's the way God established this church. That's what he's called me to do. Now listen to me. I'm going to offend some of you but go ahead and be offended. Hello, somebody. I am a word preacher. And I will not let you put me in a mold of always wanting to take your calls and talk to you on your personal level about personal issues that I'm dealing with from the pulpit all the time. If you don't have enough of God to come to the house of God to hear the word of God, don't call me in the week. Because I'm a word preacher. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, now don't take that wrong. You've got to hear what I'm saying in the context of what I'm preaching here. These men could have got sucked up in this stuff. And so they'd be running around like chickens with their head cut off. Always dealing with this person's got this problem. This person's got this issue. And all of that. And, and in times there are crises that need to be addressed. But so what the apostles do then is this. All right. They say, well, we, we're not called to handle that. All right. So what we do, he said, choose out seven men from among you, filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom. Hello. Let me get you the qualifications here. Of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Hello. All right. Um, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Who we may appoint over this business, but we may give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, right? God's good, isn't he? So he says, from among you, number one, it cannot be somebody that's in the world. They might have great business skills. 
they might be great administrators of business. But he said, you cannot choose men outside of the church to run the church. They have to come from within. And they have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And they have to be full of wisdom, right? God's good, isn't he? And so, and really, you know, sometimes we take this passage to preach deacons. But the word deacon is not used in this passage. In fact, when it talks about the apostles preaching the word and serving by preaching the word, they are called servants. A deacon is a servant. Later on, this pattern will be, be in a sense, grow, will grow into a deacon type. Of, of ministry and so let me explain to you just for this just for a little bit here that these men that were were raised up here were men that just were taking care of this particular need they were going to be the so-called you know and I don't want to and I'm not using this in a derogatory or a lowness way they were going to be the table waiters they were going to take care of business administration the apostles, on the other hand, were going to fulfill the high calling of God by preaching the word and by prayer. So these men here, this seven, was going to do the high call of God in business. They were going to do the high call of God in waiting on tables. They were going to do the high, come on, the high call of God this way. But the apostles were going to do the high call of God by preaching the word. They're both high calls of God. Right, you got it, don't you? And what is interesting to me is, is that, praise God, we have men who are called by Greek names. I, I think I just about pretty much <laughs> blew everybody's mind already, the way you're responding, you know, to what I've said about communal living and this thing. But it's in the Word of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, so a person, there are different calls in the, in the house of God. And if you're going to be an officer, an officer, who takes care of business, like, like Brother Mark is our, one, is our head trustee. So he's involved in helping me in, in administration and, and business. And they sign documents and, and all kinds of things. That's set up, okay? I've got other trustees in the house, all right? And so their, their focus, again, is business. Hello? And because God has these men around me like Brother Mark, then that allows me to have more time to study the Word of God and to pray. Because that's my call. Hello. I said that's my call. Now, right now, our church is, you know, relatively small, so to speak. And so at the first, the, the set man just about does everything, okay? That's just the way it is, and that's the way it has to be. He pretty much wears all the shoes and all the hats for everything. But as we grow, different men will take certain responsibilities that I now carry that I will no longer have to carry. Hello, somebody. There will come a time when you'll not see me in the hospital always going and praying for you or, or taking you bread or food or picking you up like a taxi cab there will come a time when I don't do that kind of thing because God will raise up men around me that will do that there will come a time when you're not going to see me up here mowing the grass or cutting down weeds and stuff like that not because I have a problem doing that I did that this last week with brother David he and I did that over here I have no problem with that but what I'm telling you as we grow God is going to bring up men around me that's going to take care of the business aspects of the church Working with me in the administration of this church. 
But my primary call is to preach the Word of God to you and to counsel you by the Word of God. But I am not going to let you put me above the Word. Now, this is something that Bishop Wagner said to us when we were in that conference. He said, I don't let people put me above the Word of God. Well, see, that's my call. I don't let people put me above the Word of God, which means they think they've got to call me and get me personally involved in everything that they are doing and every decision that they're, they're involved in and every aspect of their life. Come on, somebody. Hear what I'm telling you. I am not. Then what happens is I allow you to put me above the Word of God. What I'm called to do is stand behind that pulpit and preach the Word. Hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. And if you can't stay here to listen to the Word of God hour upon hour upon hour to get direction for your life, to hear from God, you will not, I will not let you put me above the Word of the living God. And you have to qualify for access. That is a principle of wisdom. You have to qualify for access. You don't want to come to hear the Word of God, then don't call me on the telephone and tell me you got a need. Because I'm a word preacher. And I'm not going to let you put me above the word of God, brother. There's no way I'm going to let you do that. If you can't do it God's way, you're sure not going to take my advice anyway. Because I'll tell you something, you got an opinion. I tell you, if I tell you something, then you got an opinion. I preach the word of God to you, and you still got an opinion. you got an opinion against the word of the living God. Now, well, somebody said, well, what gives you the authority? Just to say that you are declaring the word of God. I've had that. Well, honey, I don't know how to put it, but it's verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that's the way I declare it. So I refuse to, and by my saying I declare the word of God, I do not exalt myself. I put myself under the word. And under its authority, not above its authority, and above the word. When I say I declare the word, I don't make myself equal with the word. I put myself under the word and its authority. Which means if I misunderstand it, I have to line up with the word of God. And I don't always do everything absolutely perfect. I don't. So I've got to exalt the word, stand under the word, and declare the word of God to you. And you have to stand under the word. And you must, listen, look at me everybody. Look at me everybody. You must obey God's word. I said you must obey the word of God. Whether you like it or you don't like it. Well, we... We get into this thing now where, well, we have people want to talk about constructive criticism versus destructive criticism. Now, Pastor, I'll receive your criticism as long as it's constructive. But I don't want anything to do with this destructive criticism stuff. Where do you get that philosophy? There is no such thing as constructive and destructive criticism. I know we have a tendency to use that. You know why we use those terms? Because we were dealing with the person who has a, a, a what do you call it, a, a self-esteem problem. Because they got an esteem problem, we come to them and say, I'm going to give you constructive criticism. You know, because we know they're not going to you know, receive destructive criticism. But if I say I'm going to give you constructive criticism, then, you know, now you're ready to receive that. Because pretty much constructive criticism is my approval. 
You don't understand, do you? What I'm saying is we use terms destructive and constructive criticism because we're worried about hurting the esteem of a person. But constructive criticism, so to speak, does not deal with evil. Constructive criticism is this. Constructive criticism is basically approval. Destructive criticism, then on the other hand, is, oh, you don't agree with what I approve. So as long as you approve of what I approve of, then I'll call that constructive criticism. But it becomes destructive criticism if I don't approve of what you approve. And so destructive criticism is always perceived that way. Listen, are you hearing me right now? When you uh, attack evil. Well, you don't approve with me. That's destructive criticism. I got news for you. The, the word of the living God declares what is required of us. Did you catch what I said? Constructive criticism basically is approval. Destructive criticism is my lack of approval on what you approve. Hello, somebody. So as long as I approve of what you approve, that's constructive criticism. But if I disapprove of what you approve of, that becomes destructive to you. That is a philosophy that has come into the minds of men that are not, it's not the Bible. That's not the Word of God, I tell you. Because constructive criticism, approving what you approve, never addresses evil. It never calls sin, sin. It never calls evil, evil. It never says this is wrong and that's not right. It's always looking for a place of common ground. Where I can try to find some way to approve, with, uh, approve your, uh, have approval on you what you approve. So that constructive criticism and destructive criticism are not true. They are simple terms that we use to, to work with the esteem of people. Let me tell you what criticism is. Criticism is simply this, an appraisal. It's an appraisal. The Word of God is a critic. It will criticize me, which means it appraises me. Says, that's wrong. This is right. So if I'm doing wrong, then if you want to use terms, at times it will be a so-called, by the terms of people, a destructive criticizer. Oh, give me a break. The Word of God is not a destructive criticizer. It simply appraises us and said, this is wrong. This is right. You've got to go by the Word of God. Get rid of this philosophy and psychology that says destructive and constructive criticism. Criticism is an appraisal. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Word of God is the critic. So they said we must give ourselves to the Word of God in prayer. We are word preachers. Give God some praise. So I'm trying to help you understand. I'm not trying to be mean. They still place men in places where they could still take care of needs in that temporary setup. I said a temporary setup. 
But the word was first place. The word was first priority. It is not humanistic in its approach. It is not socialistic in its approach. It's the word of God saying, thus saith God. And sometimes it will cause your, you know, your humanness to be offended. It, oh, you're not going to like some stuff. <laughs> Are y'all hearing me today? And then sometimes you're not going to like the way it's delivered. <laughs> Hello, somebody. <laughs> God's good. So I'm trying to help you. And you know that we try to work and help people with their needs and their problems, their issues. Their, oh, we are involved in that. My phone reeks constantly. And I don't have a problem with that. What I'm telling you is I will never let you put me above the word. And if you can't come hear the word of God, don't waste my time in the week. Is everybody okay? Are you, are, he are you hearing that? And so if there comes a time when I don't go see you every time you're in the hospital, I may send Brother Mark. Well, Brother Mark's going to go in there, and he don't go in there as the man of God. He goes there representing the man of God. He don't walk in there and say, I'm the man of God. I'm here to pray for you. Oh, you're out of order. I'm telling you, our churches are completely chaotic because there is no order set up in the house. They have they got an organized church here that is being placed in proper order. So when Mark walks in there, Brother Mark walks in there, and he says, I'm here representing the pastor, and I, he's asked me to come pray for you, and I'm representing him, not myself. That's proper order. You don't walk in there and say, like you're the man of God, strutting your stuff. I'm going to lay hands on you. You better watch that. You're out of order, man. Now, some people freak out on me because I am so, I'm so strict and stringent concerning order. They freak out on me and say, why are you like that? Hey, God gave me authority. He gave me power. And he gave me an anointing because of that. Right. So I'm always preaching to you government and order. Because then the glory is going to be right. And that's not a minimal thing for me. That's a major thing for me. So he walks in there and he says, I'm, I'm here representing the pastor here and I'm going to pray for you. He asked me to come. And so, yeah, you let him pray and everything. And that's wonderful. That's great. Amen. And then don't get mad at the pastor because he didn't go. Because there's going to come a time when this church is going to grow, grow, grow to the point that I cannot deal with you on a personal level all the time. It's impossible. I can't be everywhere at the same time. <laughs> Come on. Now, now, look at me, church. I'm talking to you just a little bit. Then we'll get into the, you know, a little more things here. But You know, you, I, I get this. I feel this at times. I walk in. I was going to go see somebody that's in the hospital pray. And some of their buddies or their friends look at me and say, where you been? You know, get, get, make you feel like, where you been? You should have been here two hours ago. Hey, stupid, I was in the hospital praying for somebody else. You're not the only one here. And this person that you're here with is not the only one in my church. You need to get a hold of that. 
But everybody thinks that they're the only issue. They think they're the only one in the church. They think they're the only thing going on. They think they're the only one happening. That, you need to get it in your brain. It's not just about you. Just be thankful we can do what we can for you. Hello. This is good, this is good preaching. So as long as that person is under a pastor, then if you go and you pray for them, you have to go as a representative of the man of God, not as the man of God, or not as the woman of God. Hello, somebody. I, I know that I'm, I'm real fervent and I'm fiery about that, but I, I'm trying to show you some things that are really important, okay? Hallelujah. Give God a hand clap praise. <laughs> And so we got a lot of awesome men. We got a lot of awesome women. I got Sunday school teachers back there. I can't be back there teaching that. We got Sunday school teachers back there. We got helpers back there. We got assistants back there. We got people opening doors. We got bus drivers. We got people picking up kids. We got them taking them home. We got people working on the church building, working on the grounds of the church. We got people that are all involved in the work of this church. We've got people that stand at the door, uh, you know, uh, greeting people, etc. This church cannot be a one-man show. It's impossible. So that you have to learn to do the work of ministry. You have to learn to minister to each other. Hello. But not as the man of God. But as a representative. Of and everything that everybody's doing back there. Is very important. And extremely high in the kingdom. I just happen to have my place. My place is, is, is try to bring the word of God to you. Hello. And I'm not doing a great job of that. But I am at least applying myself to the Word of God and to prayer that I might deliver it to you. So what? What for? So that you can learn to be dependent. Or come on. Independent. Not dependent. But independent people in the kingdom of God. Because if we don't deal with the root, then you've got this problem going on all the time. That's why there are immature people in the house of God. They've been there for years. But because somebody was babysitting them, instead of giving them the word of God, they have not grown up in Him. So there's, there's a place here. There's a place for everything. There's a need for these men working and, and administrating things, etc. And there's a place for the Word of God. And it's number one as far as I'm concerned. It's number one because I'm a Word preacher. And I'm not going to let you put this church or put myself above the Word. I am not your God. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Some of you think I'm really hard. And that God's not. <laughs> but anyway, hallelujah, let's go on here. Did that help anybody here? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Now, that, that's just the way, that's just the way I believe, okay? Now, if you believe it differently and you've got a different call in your life, that's, that's something else. But I wouldn't call it a church. If it's not declaring the Word of God, don't call it a church. Call it a social gathering. Call it welfare institutions. 
call it a, a distribution center for goods. But don't call yourself a church if you're not preaching the word of God. Don't call yourself a church if you're only dealing with people on a humanistic level. I cannot help you if I just deal with you from a humanistic vantage point. I have to preach the word of God to you. Okay? So all of this is important in the house of God. The administrators, etc. And everybody that's involved, they're all high callings. I said high callings. And you need to understand that what you do in the house of God is a high calling. Man, if it's, po if it's putting out a mice poison... If it's for the church, it's a high calling. Walk down that hall with that mice poison in your hand. He says, like, oh God, I'm getting ready to serve you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo, I'm fixing to kill that rat. <laughs> I remember when I used to be just like him until I got regenerated. <laughs> And when I got regenerated, hallelujah, you know, oh, I got a high call, shut up a hole. I'm going after that dirty rat because I know what a dirty rat's like, you know. So whatever you do in the kingdom of God, you have to look at it as a very high, high calling. If you, if you plug it in, the plug in the wall. Woo, shut up a hole. Woo, shut up a hole. We'll fix it and have some. We're going to have some overhead today. Hallelujah. The reason why we're going to have overhead today, because I just got to plug it in. Wow. High calling. Whatever you do in the kingdom of God is a high calling. Praise God. Give God a hand clap of praise. One of the highest callings of the church, highest callings of people in the church is those that are back there changing diapers and pampers and getting thrown up on and, and, and all kinds of stuff. That's a high calling. But first things first for the apostles and the preachers is to declare the word of God. Are y'all with me still? Hallelujah. Well, we're doing real good on time. Verse 4, did y'all get the point? When we talk about table waiters, you know, we have a tendency to think, well, I don't want to be a table waiter. I want to be the big guy. I want to be the big man behind the pulpit, you know. You missed it. Because the table waiter is a high calling. It's not a position of disgrace. and It's a high calling. If you've been, these men, look at these men that they had to qualify to be table waiters. Had to be full of the Holy Ghost. Men of good report. Men filled with wisdom. Well, I thought anybody could wait on a table. No, that's not true. We learned in this conference that you want to put your best men or women at the door greeting. You want to put your best people in certain key positions that look like very minuscule, minimal things. That's where you want the best people. Because the first impression they get when they walk through that door is you, if you're the one, sister. That's it. So you can sit, you can, they can turn around and walk out the door if, you don't, if you're not, you know, all sweet, kind, cordial, and, you know, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and have a good report and all that. You know, they'll walk out and say, I don't like her. 
So we want our best people in those positions. Don't they know I'm more important than that, though? <laughs> Trying to show you the qualifications to be a table waiter were high qualifications because it's a high calling. All right. Y'all got the point, right? Woo. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap praise. And really, you know, if we wanted to, we could spend all day long just on order in the house and, and the government in the house and, 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 and service giftings and uh, eldership and all that authority and all that. We could spend all our time on that, but we've dealt with that in times past, okay? My focus today, though, is that God stand up. I want God to stand up in me. Y'all want God to stand up in you? I mean, hey, what else do you want? I gave, I gave about 20 minutes uh, um, of the time to that. Okay, all I'm saying, uh, I'm going on, all right? I'm going on. Hallelujah. So we touched on communal living. We talked about different facets of the church and its operation, right? So let's look at never say, we're going to go on. <laughs> God's good. We will give ourselves continued to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying please the whole multitude. And so they got these seven men with these uh, seven Greek names. Pretty smart move. Now the, the, hopefully the murmur goes away, right? And verse 7, and because of that, the word of God increased. I said the word of God increased. The word is never to be placed as secondary in any church. The Word of God increased. It's about the Word. If you'll preach the Word, God, Jesus will stand up in that house. But if you're only running a social institution or a distribution institution, God, come on somebody, is not going to stand up like he wants to. The Word of God increased, didn't diminish or decrease. The number of the disciples multiplied. Wow, words decreasing, and we got a multiplication of people in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Can I tell you something? I want to build this church on the word. God has never called me to build it upon uh, clowns. He hadn't called me to build it upon clowns. He hasn't called me to build it on the social level. He called me to build it on the word. That's why this church is called Bible-Centered Fellowship. I'm going to build it on the word. May or may not have as big a program as some others might have. But I will give my focus and my time into this awesome holy word of God. And I will declare it. Some people say, well, where do you get all that? How do you know all of that? Man, I live in the book. I pray I live in the book. Now, as a result of that, the Word of God's increasing, and we got people multiplying, and also the company of priests were obedient to the faith. Wow. We got people who are a part of a false priesthood. I said a false priesthood coming under true priesthood. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, the tendency, because you've got these Jewish, religious Jewish priests coming into the church, the tendency will be for them to bring things with them that will affect the way the church is moving. Which means they're going to bring some of their traditions. 
with them. Hear me now. That's at the beginning of the church. It will be seen at the ending of the church. Now my point is this. When I talk about Jewish religion, hear me now, I am not talking about Old Testament. I am talking about when, you're, when you see this Jewish religion here in the book of Acts and you see these Jewish priests, you see a people that don't even know God. John 8, Jesus looked at the, the, the leaders of Israel and he said, you don't even know God, but I know him. So when I'm talking about the Jewish religion, I'm talking about people who don't even know God. I am talking about, Jew, when I say Judaism, I'm not talking about Old Testament versus New Testament. I'm talking about a false religious system that has begun to walk in the traditions of the elders instead of the Word of God. I'm talking about a false church when I talk about Judaism. I'm not talking about Old Testament versus New Testament. I'm talking about how they interpreted the Old Testament. That's where they missed it. The tradition of the fathers. And Paul called it the Jewish religion. We're not talking about God in the Old Testament versus God in the New Testament. He's one and the same God. The problem, though, is they didn't even know God. They lost sight of God and started preaching humanism and human traditions. And, and they went by just what the rabbis said. Now, just because the rabbis said it don't mean it's in the book. And so what happened is they got swallowed up in the traditions of men rather than the Word of God. And they did not even know God himself. So you need to understand where we're coming here. We're talking about Jewish priests. Jewish priests that did not even know God. That needed to be saved. There are rabbis today. There are Jewish men today who don't even know God. But they, they listen, they, they will claim that they know God. And they will claim they know the word of God. But it doesn't mean just because they claim it that it's a reality. These priests didn't know God. Jesus said they didn't know him. But now some of them are coming in the church. It's not, you've got to hear me right now. They're coming in the church and so they're going to bring a lot of their traditions with them. They're going to bring some of the religious flavor with them. They're going to bring some of their interpretation with them. Which one of them is a permanence of the temple. Come on. And a permanence, come on, of the ceremonial law of Moses. Hello, are you with me now? So now these priests are coming, but they still got stuff. Now, what's going to happen is, the apostle is going to stand up and declare God. Jesus. That he's the fulfillment of all the external covenants. They're going to say this. You lived under an external covenant, but now we live in an internal covenant. You got to hear what I'm telling you right now. We see it now. We understand that. It's a spiritual dimension that we're operating in. And not just an external dimension that we're moving in. We see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the external covenant. We see that the external was given to teach you Jesus. And to teach you spiritual things. But you are still holding on to the external things of the law. 
Y'all understand what I'm trying to tell you? Wow. And so now watch. And Stephen, verse 8, full of the faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Man, this guy's something else. Why is he able to do that? Because Jesus is standing up in him. Because the same thing that is said about Stephen is said about Jesus. So that what he does and what he says is what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Jesus is standing up in him. Jesus is standing up in me. Jesus is standing up in this early church. Jesus is standing up in this church. They had a passion for Jesus to stand up in the midst of the external covenant. They had a passion for the standing. So much so that when Stephen is slain, the Bible said he looked up in heaven and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. There was a standing up for Jesus. I'm telling you, God gave me a prayer today. He said they had a passion for me to stand up. They had a passion for the risen Lord, not the dead Lord. They had a passion for the Spirit over the external covenant. They could see spiritual things. Now watch. And because Jesus is standing up in him, all these signs, miracles, and wonders are taking place. And so much so that when they look on him, he's glowing like an angel. Now, let me give you the background here. What's going on? Stephen and these men, these Greek men that have been named, are from the dispersion. They are from outside of Jerusalem, but they've come into the church. And now at the same time, you've got priests coming into the church. So they're going to bring their understanding of the law into the church. And we have these, come on, are you here? These Hellenistic men, these Jewish believers that are in the church. Woo. Now there's going to be some stuff going on here. Woo. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 9, say, then. At this point or before this point, now Jerusalem has heard the word. I said Jerusalem has heard the word. But now the word then comes out. So that that which was before it concerning their communal situation is fixing to change. Because they're fixing to go throughout the whole world by persecution. But watch. Now he says this. Now Jerusalem has heard the word so that even priests are coming in to the kingdom of God. Even priests are getting saved. Well, I didn't think they needed saving. Yes, they did because they don't even know God. Yes, they did because they're in a tradition. Yes, they did because they... You know today there's all kinds of churches out there who call themselves Christian, who do not preach the truth and don't even know God. That's the same thing that happened here. Same thing that happened to many, many in Israel. All right? So now Jerusalem has heard the witness, and priests are coming into the kingdom of God. And the Hellenistic Jews are among this. Now what happens as a result of that in verse 9? Then there arose certain of the synagogue. Say the synagogue. Now the synagogue is something that was established out of the Babylonian captivity. Remember, the temple, the temple, the temple. They stood there. And they said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these, Jeremiah 7. Which means they believed that nothing can happen to this temple. But God said, the temple is going to be destroyed and you are going to be taken captive. Watch this. Are you here? And so now the temple's gone during the time of Babylonian captivity. It's gone. Look at your name and say, it's gone. 
which means also the sacrifices are gone. Because if you don't have a temple, you can't have a sacrifice. So now what the Jewish nation does is they set up synagogues. With me here? And their focus is God's word. Can't go up to a temple if it's not there. Can't offer a sacrifice if it's not there. So now we got to get into the word of God. And so men like Ezra, a scribe, or some would call him a rabbi, rose up. And what they started focusing is the word of God. And listen to me. you got to hear what I'm saying. They begin to understand that even if there wasn't a temple there and the sacrifice was not being made, that God was still in Babylon geographically. Now that's what God is going to try to show them in chapter 7. He said, I spoke to Abraham before there was a temple. I spoke to Abraham before there was a law. You've got to see this. But you think that I'm just going to be, uh, you know, in your little box here in Jerusalem. But I want to bust out of your box. And I want to stand up in other nations of this world. Trying to show you and tell you that I'm not limited to a temple. And so this synagogue people setting, if your city was big enough, then you would go there. And if you had 10 Jewish men, you could start a church, a synagogue. And the focus would be on the word and the preaching of the word and the study of the word. Are you with me? All right, come on, are you here? And then in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, etc., the temple would be rebuilt. And from time to time, the dispersion, the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, from time to time would go up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Hear me now. But their focus was not the temple. Their focus was upon the invisible God. I said their focus was upon the invisible God. And his, say with me, word. So now, the Bible says in verse 9, there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. This synagogue was in Jerusalem. And attending this synagogue was the Greek-speaking Jews or the people from the dispersion out there in the geographical world somewhere living other than in Jerusalem. You got you with me up to this point? says that there, there was the, uh, in that synagogue, the Cyrenians. These are Jews. And it says there was an exalent Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia. Now, who was from Cilicia? Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was there. When all of this is about to take place, Saul is there. And Saul is passionate for the temple. And Saul is passionate for the law of Moses. Are you here? And so he's in the synagogue with the rest of them. Give God a hand clap of praise. The Bible said, now of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing what? It says they're disputing with Stephen. What are they fighting with Stephen about? What are they fussing with Stephen about? Are you awake? They are disputing. Now listen to me. In this context then, 
<laughs> Paul is among them. I believe with all my heart. Because he is a Cilici, he's from Cilicia Tarsus. And then we see him flow at, into the next chapter. He can just pop up on the scene just out of nowhere. He came out of that synagogue. He walked out of that synagogue. He was involved in the dispute with Stephen. Now here's the thing about Paul. He and Stephen are on common ground this way. They both believe in the Old Testament. Paul and Stephen both believe that the Old Testament is the Word of God. The problem is that Paul is covered in traditional interpretation of that Old Testament. But Stephen, who comes along, he's not in that mindset. He's been outside of that. He's got a focus upon the invisible God. He... Although he'll go out to the temple and worship, his focus isn't in that box right there. His focus is upon God, the invisible God. So that now when the church comes in, full of power in the spirit, he said, yeah, I understand. That's what the Old Testament was telling was going to happen all along. It was prophesied. It was predicted. It was typically given to us in the Old Testament. Now I see the spiritual uh, is here now. You with me? That the new age has come. But Paul didn't have that understanding. With me? He's still walking around in his traditions. He's still walking around in his Jewish religion. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. Thinking he's got a proper interpretation of the events of that moment. Know this. He knows and believes that the Old Testament is the word of God from Genesis to Malachi. So does Stephen. But the way he sees it is wrong. The way Paul saw it was wrong. And that's where the dispute's going on. You with me? The dispute is concerning. Well, is Jesus the Messiah? Is the temple, oh, temple going to be destroyed? Oh, wow. Are y'all getting this? Why? Sometimes I wonder. And so they're at it. They're at it. They're at it. Now, for you to come to the book of Acts and to tell me otherwise, to tell me that Paul, was, he was walking in the truth from his babyhood. From the time he was born, he was walking in truth. You've got to be kidding me. Paul was an enemy against the church. The religious leaders of Jerusalem were against the church. They were fighting it tooth and nail. But it was God's church. They were fighting these men. Sadducees fighting them. And now the Pharisees fighting them thinking they're doing God a service. Because the way they see it's one way. But the way God is doing it is another way. They misunderstood altogether. But they still think they're right. Oh, and we've seen conflict with this church, Jewish leadership, back in the early chapters of Acts. And so now we've got this disputing going on. Are you here? Stephen's there among this synagogue. And you got these different men from different parts of the world. And they are what? Disputing. Say disputing. disputing. Give God a hand clap praise. Now, what is this about? Let's go on and read. The Bible said they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. He's anointed by the Holy Ghost and he's speaking the word of God. They're over there relying upon their human intellect and, and their pharisaical traditions and rabbinic understandings. And I want you to know Stephen stands up in the power of God. He's anointed by the spirit. 
and they cannot resist the spirit or the wisdom by which he spake because intellect cannot stand in the presence of God like that and so what is this all about what's this dispute about then they suburn men which said we have heard them speak blasphemous oh yeah Whew. so they're losing the debate they're losing the dispute Paul Paul lost Paul I said Paul lost those men that were there with him in this dispute they lost the debate what was the discussion about watch Bible says they suburbed men which said oh we got to get some people now to rise up had to be a witness against them false witnesses do you hear what I'm saying they didn't win the discussion the debate so now they're mad and now they're going to raise up some false witnesses against them I'm, you, are you hearing what I'm saying we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And I'm going to explain to you what that's all about. They said he was speaking against Moses and against God. He never spoke against Moses, nor did he ever speak against God. In fact, he's going to declare to them that they were the ones that did not follow Moses. He's going to declare to them, if you knew Abraham, you would have believed in Jesus. If you know Moses, you would have believed in that prophet. It's really you who aren't following Moses. It's really you who are not the seed of Abraham. You're the ones. You accuse me of speaking against Moses and speaking against God. But it's totally the opposite thing. You see the temple as a permanent thing. You see the external covenant as a permanent thing. I don't see it that way because my focus has been in the invisible God. Stephen had more understanding about what was going on than Peter did. He had more understanding about what was going on than anybody in his day. All Peter could do was just stand over there and keep his mouth shut. Because Peter's still going up to the temple in the hour of prayer. As far as he knows, he's going to keep on going like this forever. Stephen knows, he sees clearer than any of them. Because he's a man outside looking in. His focus is not on a box or a house. His focus is on the, the internal covenant. His focus is on substance, not shadow. His focus is on reality. Wow. Uh, so he's speaking against God, speaking against Moses. That's what they said. That's not true. Mm -mm. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes that came upon him and caught him and brought him in the council. He said, you know what? There might be a lot of people that disagree with us. I'm talking about these, these synagogue men thinking here. There might be a lot of people that might disagree with us concerning the church. But when they find out... That the church is preaching that, that uh, the temple is not going to be here forever. And they find out that the customs we've been going along with for so many years are going to have changed. 
when they find out that, I don't care if it's Sadducee, I don't care if it's Pharisee, it doesn't matter. The whole city will rise up against this movement. We'll get the Sadducees and the Pharisees in this one. We'll take care of this group right now. We'll stomp them out. We'll wipe them out. Because we have one thing coming, and that's the temple. And if they're speaking against the temple, oh, everybody's going to rise up against that. I mean, the Sadducees don't believe like we believe concerning the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection, you know. And they don't believe in angels, but we believe in angels. But I'm going to tell you something, one thing about it. We have a common ground. That's the temple. They find out that this church wants to destroy the temple. Woo! We'll, we'll get rid of them just like that. So they're bringing up these witnesses, false witnesses. Now, here's what you have to understand. Watch this. Look at the mindset of the Jews of that day. John 2. Is this helping anybody? He is not speaking against Moses. He is not speaking against God. He's the one that is the, listen, applying the Old Testament accurately. They have misapplied the temple. Misapplied Moses. Misapplied the events of history. Misapplied the word of God. They have misinterpreted it. But this man, Stephen, is properly interpreting the mind of God in the Old Testament. Its purpose in the Old Testament and where they were today. Now watch. This is what Jesus was trying to get them to see. The Jews to see. John 2. Watch this. Are y'all doing okay out there? God is an awesome God, isn't he? Go to John 2. Huh? Verse 18. Then answered the Jews. We're talking about the, the rulers here. And said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And we just got through driving out the money changers out of the temple, you know. Disapproving of what they approved. And they saw it as destructive criticism. <laughs> so we got to find out what his authority is for doing that. Because he hasn't put his approval on what they approve. He's walked in there and given a God appraisal. God standing up in the temple. Well, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Now, when I preach like I do right now, you think I'm anti-Jewish, anti-Moses, and anti-God, anti-Old Testament. But see, if you have that concept, then you are the same place that they were. You are walking in the same place as those Jews were and the leadership of Israel. That's absolutely correct. Because when I stand up and declare you the internal covenant and the spiritual fulfillment of Old Testament times and shadows, if you, don't, if you do not receive that, you are in danger. Because you are walking in the same mindset that rejected Jesus. And to reject Jesus is idolatry. A Jew is not one outwardly, external covenant, but he is one inwardly. Did you get that? Internal covenant. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. Now in Matthew 24, he prophesied that the temple was going to be destroyed. Jesus said it. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I'm going to stand back up again. 
Now notice this. This is the way they took him. People crucify you not for what you said, but for what they thought you said. They thought he said he was going to destroy it. They thought he was talking about an external temple. They thought he said or thought he was talking about the physical temple. That's what they thought he said. See where they are? External covenant. Jesus trying to get them to see internal. Trying to get them to see he's the fulfillment of it. They just can't see it. And he didn't say he was going to destroy it there. He said you destroy it. But they said that he said he was going to destroy it. So they're going to crucify him over not what he said, but what they thought he said. And he could not get them to understand the internal covenant versus the external covenant. So he, oh, what's this? What's this? He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews. Forty-six years was this. And they look over there at this physical temple. That external temple. Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? Jesus, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to let Jesus stand up in me right now and say, What are you talking about? I'm not talking about an external temple or an external covenant. What? Amen. You're so focused on building an external temple today. What? Where is that house that you builded me? To this man will I look. Woo. I wonder if Stephen was preaching what I'm preaching right now, Sister Angie. I just wonder. Made them matter more. Verse 21, but he says... But he spake of the temple, the temple of his body. He's talking internal. He's talking about spiritual fulfillment. They're still focused on external covenants. They missed the point of the Old Testament. And they're saying, he said he's going to destroy it when he said, you destroyed this temple right here. And in three days, I'll raise it up. I'll stand up. I'll rise up. And they go over there and say, did you hear what he said? He, go he said he could rear this thing up in three days. The temple, destroy this temple and bring it up in three days. And it's been 40, what, 46 years in the building? Uh, who he think he is? They're so ignorant, they don't even know it. See, Jesus dealt with the height of ignorance. His apostles dealt with the height of ignorance. Stephen is dealing with the height of ignorance. Height of ignorance. Croaking. Very spiritual garb. Terminology. Look at it. Speaking against God. Speaking against Moses. He did neither one of those. 
All he said was what Jesus said. What he preached was a reality of what they saw only externally. He saw it spiritually. Because his focus again is the invisible God. To see the book of Acts any other way is to move into the same spirit of those synagogue men. You're speaking against God. You're speaking against Moses. Wow, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? Well, I'm almost through. Don't worry. I'd love to preach chapter 7 to you also. I'll get that next week. A passion for substance. But that's what we're going to call it. Now, y'all still awake? Give me a break, man. Okay. So now they got these false witnesses saying that he speaks against Moses and against God. Oh, yeah. Speaking against the law. When you talk about when you say when you say speaking against Moses, basically you're saying speaking against the law. Or speaking against the Old Testament. And, and to speak against the temple. To speak against the temple, so to speak, in their mind is to speak against God. Because they equaled the temple with God. Do you hear what I'm telling you right now? The Bible said this. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Boy, we, we, we get, this is grounds to get them out of town. We're going to shut this baby down right now. We can't overcome the spirit and the wisdom that's there. So we, gonna, we know what? They said they're going to destroy the, the temple's going to be destroyed. Oh, yeah, we'll get him out on that one, yeah. Uh, and the Bible said, and set up false witnesses which said, this man... Ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place. So I'm not reading into the Bible things that aren't there. He was preaching about the temple. He was preaching about Moses. He was, come on. He was speaking about God, but not the way they saw it. He's telling them, a new age has come in. Jesus is the Messiah. Your customs that you followed, he has fulfilled them. In fact, in fact, this temple is going to be destroyed. Oh, he's speaking against the holy place now. No, he's just saying what Jesus said. And if you don't have a holy place, you don't have a temple, then you don't have sacrifice. And if you don't have a temple, you don't have sacrifice, then you've moved into a new era, a new age, and you are doing things differently. You are doing things new. The, the spiritual has supplanted the external. So I know what the debate was over. Moses, law, God, the temple. I know. Where is their place in this Christianity? Where does it fit or not fit? Destroy this temple. They could not see it. But Stephen saw it. Peter didn't even see it. But Stephen saw it. Because he's a synagogue Jew. He's a dispersion Jew. Focuses on the invisible God. His focus, friend, you've got to hear what I'm telling you. His focus is Melchizedek. His focus is the priest of the Most High God. His focus is that God. We didn't thank God when we got taken captive from Babylon. 
We didn't think God would go with us. We thought he was, you know, he was confined to that land. And we thought he was confined to that house. And now all of a sudden we find out that God is in Babylon. As the most high God, he's involved in wanting to be involved with all nations. Now we'll come up here and we'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll worship at the temple. But we, we know, we see the spirituality of things. That's why Stephen could stand up and preach like he did. He was a prophet. He understood the truth in the time. An apostle speaks authoritatively and fundamentally. A prophet speaks and gives application for, to the word for that place. The, the apostle finds the place. The prophet finds the plan of God for that place. And then the teacher teaches how to implement the plan of God in that place. And that, I want you to know, this man is not just a deacon. Apostolic authority that is equal to or greater than even the 12 apostles that are there. You know why? Because Jesus stood up in him, brother. Jesus stood up in him. It's going to take me a while to get in this, get, get through this, but I'm talking about all this passage, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Wow, isn't God good? Now, the Bible said, set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceased not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He just said what Jesus said. I'm not going to be around here much longer. <laughs> what? Jesus fulfilled Pentecost. What? He fulfilled Passover. What? He fulfilled Tabernacles. What? Hear me today, church. He fulfilled the Sabbath. What? Everybody wants to get on this. Well, you'll keep nine commandments, which you won't keep ten. And the Sabbath is one of the ten. Well, honey, uh, I ask you a question. You claim to keep the Sabbath, uh, but the Sabbath is not just one day. There are sabbatical weeks. There are sabbatical years. Did you take a whole year off in the seventh year? You claim to keep the Sabbath. Uh, you, you took one day and you, you called it a day of rest. The seventh day, Saturday. And you claim that you kept the Sabbath. What about the seventh year? Did you keep the seventh year? Did you quit your job? Did you let everything, the land lie rest? Did you do all of that? Give me a break. Uh, Jesus came in here. Uh, he is the rest of God. He is the Sabbath. You're looking at a man that keeps the Sabbath. You're looking at a man that keeps Pentecost, Tabernacles, Passover. In the Spirit. Don't give me this partial stuff you want to cram down my throat. You claim that you keep the Sabbath, that you just observed one day. When there are many Sabbaths in the Bible. And that's what, that's why, no doubt, these men, because hey, he's talking against Moses, talking about the temple, he's preaching against all this. Honey, he understands the time. And if it happened then, 
It's going to happen in the last days of the church. That which is first shall be last. That which is last shall be first. And you're going to have people who have that concept of the external covenant and want to bring that into the church. You have got to hear me. You think you could keep those Sabbaths? You think you could keep those sabbaticals without a sacrifice, do you? You study the way the Sabbath was observed, those sabbaticals, those high holy days, they were observed with sacrifice. Where's your sacrifice that you claim to keep the Sabbath day? Well, I'll tell you where he is. He's already risen. And if that aspect of it's fulfilled, so is the day fulfilled. If you can't bring a sacrifice, In fact, to observe the feast properly, you, honey, have to catch a plane to Israel. So don't try to push down my throat that I've got to keep the feast in Odessa, Texas. They were kept in Israel. You went up to Israel, to the temple. Give me a break, honey. Give me a break. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm excited. Jesus stood up. And I want to tell you something. I just feel it in the Holy Ghost to tell you something. We went to a place not long ago where Jesus stood up. And they loved to get into the ceremonial and the ritual. But when we walked in that house, Jesus stood up. And I'm telling you right now that they knew Jesus stood up in that house. But you know what? They prefer the rabbinical, traditional over Jesus standing up. Jesus is standing up in me. He's standing up in a church. Glory to God. You get somebody going in there and, you, and they start preaching internal covenant versus external covenant. They know they got to change some customs. And the fight's on, man. Y'all all right? Give God a hand clap praise. It's about Jesus standing up. They had a passion for Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Listen, I wonder if he was preaching what I'm preaching. Well, I'm preaching the word, so he's got he to be preaching something like I was preaching. Stephen, I'm talking about. And I wonder if he's got to John 2 and said, you know what? You thought, he said uh, he was going to destroy the temple. He's talking about his body, by the way. <laughs> you were thinking external building. He was talking about himself. So I got news for you. He's the temple. God, listen. Got, got news for you. He's the temple, and everybody that's in him is in the temple. You with me? Uh, I can just hear Stephen preaching. 
He's the foundation of the temple. And all these people right here, this brother that's filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in his name, he's a, he's a stone in the temple. You see that? <laughs> Can't see it. Don't want to see it. Give God a hand clap. Praise. Hey, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Jesus is standing up. Now, you know, so what I do with all, I do with all that Old Testament type and shadow, I look for Jesus. I look for Jesus. I look for the Spirit. I look for His people. That's the way I apply it. I love the feast of God. But I don't, I don't go through the ritual and all of that. But I look for Jesus in it. Come on, are you? <laughs> for me to keep it, I got to mount up with wings. <laughs> Fly to Israel. And bring my sacrifice with me. Give, come on, church. Stephen says, he's the sacrifice. He's the one that Moses prefigured. He is that prophet. He's the seed of Abraham. You always rejected your saviors at the beginning. Moses, you rejected him at the beginning. Joseph, you rejected him at the beginning. God spoke to Abraham outside of a temple, outside of a land. Spoke to most in a burning bush out there in the wilderness somewhere. Didn't even have a temple. God is going. God is moving. God is spirit. They that worship him in spirit must worship him in spirit and in truth. Look for the internal and the external. You hearing what I'm saying here? And, and, and we'll see. That's what he preached when we go to Acts 7. Y'all doing all right out there? Mm. Okay, let me bring this to a close. Wow. Praise God. It's, 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 it's a hard thing to deal with when, when people twist what you say. And that's what they were doing. They were twisting what he said. I don't care who you are. It, it, it's still reality. I mean, it's... For, all of you, everybody, if somebody had twist truth on us, on us, then it is very hard to deal with. And that's what they were doing with him. You see what I'm saying? He was speaking in the power of the Holy Ghost, in the wisdom of God. He saw things in their true light that they did not see. They didn't even know God. I'm telling you, Paul didn't even know God. Paul needed to be saved. The Bible says this. They set up false witnesses, verse 13, which said, This man seeth not to speak blasphemous words against the, this holy place and the law. Against Moses, against God, against the holy place, and against the law. He did none of those. He just said what Jesus said and, and applied them correctly. And that's what made a man. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. So now you know I wasn't making it up, right? He must have been saying that that physical external is coming down. And what you see is he's the foundation and this is the house. Which means that changes the way you worship. Because if you don't have a temple, there's no more sacrifice. And you know, Stephen's going back to the time when he, he knew of the days when there was only synagogues, no temple, no sacrifice. But they found the invisible God. And their focus was the Word of God. For we have heard him say that this Jesus. Now look at this. This is the way they say it. <laughs> but the Lord gave me a revelation of this chapter. That Jesus stood up. Hallelujah. Stood up in Stephen. He stood up in Stephen. I said he stood up in Stephen. And when Stephen is preaching, Jesus is preaching. When Stephen's preaching, the anointing that's on him is the anointing. Of, that's God. When he's speaking, that's the word of God. His action is the activity of God. That's, he, he's a manifestation of Jesus standing right there. Not a dead Jesus, but a Jesus that stood up. But they say it this way, this Jesus, you know, this Jesus, that kind of stuff, this Jesus. Now, I want you to know this, that I have a, a book by Edershine, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And you go in there and you read some of that material at, concerning the way the Jewish people, or the Jewish leaders, I should say, saw him you would have a hard time reading what they said about your Jesus so for you to sit at the same table and buddy up honey you better find out where that person stands concerning your Jesus I said stands concerning your Jesus and you better let Jesus stand up in you and you might have war on your hands. And you might have a debate on your hands. And you might have him calling for the elders of Israel. But you better stand up for Jesus. You better let Jesus stand up in you. And don't, let, don't let them say, well, this Jesus. Mm. For we have heard him say, you're going to let people speak against your Jesus. And you know better. But for the sake of tradition etc you better find out what God thinks it caused this man his death to let Jesus stand up in him cause him his life if you're not careful you'll walk around yeah thinking it's okay here we go I know, I know what I'm talking about. Because when I preach along these lines, I talk about the external versus the internal, I feel it in this house. That it's hard for many people to see that even in the house of God. 
when I say that the land, the promised land, is not just a land, it's a person. <laughs> they just swallowed their dentures. Their eyes pop out. Literally. <laughs> that old spirit, they rise up in their seat. Anyway. And not only did we hear him say, yes, of Nazareth is going to destroy this place, but shall change the customs. The customs which Moses delivered us. And he's standing there the whole time and saying, and I'm sure thinking, at least I'm thinking it, how ignorant can you get? You are saying, I speak against Moses, and I speak against God, and I speak against the law, and I speak against them. No, it is you who have always done it and are now doing it. Because you resisted Jesus, now you resist the Holy Ghost. Now watch. It's going to change the custom. It's going to completely change the way you worship. It's going to change your thought process. It's going, to think, it's going to change what you think about God. It's going to change what the way you approach God. It's going to change what you do concerning God. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, there's a few around here in this house. Destructive criticism. Give me some constructive. Okay, come here and I'll give you a word. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, here we go. Here we go. Here. Watch this. Watch this. And all that sat, sat, sat. God is so awesome, man. <laughs> I sat there last night in my study. I said, God, I know there's something you wanted me to see. And there's some key, but I didn't have it till this morning. Now, I had, I had all this preparation because I, I know what's going on in these chapters. But I'm saying I didn't have the key till prayer this morning. And all that sat in the council... Looking steadfastly on him. <laughs> he was one fired up brother. I think he preached like brother Jonathan. You know how you hurt Don't be coward. <laughs> You 
I mean, that guy was preaching, man. And he kept getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. That's why they were, listen, that's why they were staring at him. Because they were hearing what he was saying. They were just sitting there, and he was standing. Jesus was standing up in him. And they noticed something. Uh, the longer he preached, the brighter he got. He kept absorbing light and absorbing light absorbing glory absorbing glory let me tell you what happened there his companion was the one that was causing him to talk speak like that anointing him and causing him to grow like that he had a companion named Jesus that was standing up inside of him and because the light was standing up in him that light just went it just started He started absorbing that light that was coming out of the inside of him. He absorbed the light, and then pretty soon he emitted the light. See, you got to be full of the light before you can emit light. But Jesus is the light, the Bible said. So Jesus stood up in him, and the glory of God began to shine all over him. He said, look at his face, man. Look at that. Look. Face the like glowing, glowing like an angel. Where's that light coming from? It's not, it's not, it's not external. It's internal. Look around at each other, everybody's sitting down there. Bunch of few setters. They don't have that. They don't have that glory. They don't have that radiance. They don't have that spirit. They don't have that wisdom. Because Jesus hasn't stood up. In them. Give God a hand clap of praise. So in closing, I tell you this now. Church, I love you. And God loves you. Big time. You are his body. You are his temple. Let Jesus stand up in you. They didn't call this man an apostle. They called him a table waiter. But he let Jesus stand up in him. And the works that Jesus did, he did. And the words that Jesus spoke, he spoke. And the glory that Jesus radiated was seen in him. Because all he is is a manifestation, the true temple of the living God. The invisible God made manifest in their midst. You remember, y'all? I speak as Stephen. You remember whenever... God in the Old Testament filled that temple with glory. <clears throat> the old covenant external there, he's now moved in inside of us. And it's internal now. What you see now is what happened then. See, all God wanted to show you was redemption. 
He just wanted to show you redemption. So that's why he moved in a physical house in the old. So he could show you what he would do in the new. But see, y'all missed the whole thing. You missed the point of Pentecost, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. You've missed the point of all of that. Y'all got in the ritual and the ceremony, but you missed Jesus, the God of it. Jesus needs to stand up. And I want to tell you right now in closing that for practical application, you need to ask Jesus to stand up in the darkness of your soul. There is darkness in every one of us. There's darkness in my mind, in my understanding. There's darkness in my soulish man. There's darkness in my body. There's darkness in my appetites. And so I'm praying, Jesus, stand up in me. Stand up in me. And the dark places fill with light. The dark places fill me with yourself. Dark place in my mind, fill it with light. Dark place in my body, fill it with light. Fill me with light from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. That I might be an emitter of that light. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Now say with me a passion for Jesus to stand up in me. They had a passion for Jesus to stand up. This Jesus stood up in Stephen before he stood up for Stephen. Before he'll stand up for you, he's got to stand up in you. Lift your hands right now in the name of Jesus. Help us, Father God, not to be caught up in ritual, not to be caught up in the club, not to be caught up just going through the motions. But Jesus, that you would stand up inside of me. You would stand up inside of your church, Jesus. We pray, oh God, I've got a passion that you would stand up in the name of the Lord God of heaven. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God, I praise you. Oh, yes. Yes. If you lift your hands right now, that glory, the Holy Ghost that was in Stephen is in you. Jesus is in you right now. If you lift your hands, feel after him. Go ahead, Letty. I know you don't feel worthy. You might not even feel good. You might feel heavy in despair 
and discouragement. Let him stand right now in you. In Jesus' name. I bless you, Father. <laughs> I bless you, Father. I bless you, Father. Jesus, I come against the spirit of Phariseeism. I come against the spirit of Sadduceeism. And I ask the spirit of the living God, the invisible God, Jesus is his name, to stand up inside of us. In the place of that pharisaical spirit. In the face of that religious spirit. In the face of that deadness. Rise up, Jesus. You're not a dead Jesus. You're a living Jesus. Rise up in power and glory. Inside of us. We have a passion for your standing up in this church. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Bless you in the name of the Lord. Whew, praise God. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to share one last thing with you. When Jesus stood up there and Stephen was being stoned, <clears throat> standing there, the Bible said <clears throat> that he sits at the right hand of God. But here Stephen sees him standing. You know why? Because he sees Jesus as a Melchizedek priest. Not a priest after the order of Aaron. Jesus sat down to show you that Aaron was fulfilled. He finished it. Aaron was fulfilled when he sat down. When he stood up, he stood up as Melchizedek. The priest of the Most High God. God of heaven and earth. Don't ever forget that. And that's where we are now. So that he as a priest in two ways, Aaron and Melchizedek, fulfilled it as Aaron and stand as Melchizedek. Don't ever forget that. And that's the way he stands before you today. Standing in that type of priesthood. And by the grace of God, I'll explain some of that to you next week, okay? Father, Lord, I love you tonight, today, this morning. I give you glory, honor, and praise. Brother Jonathan, look at me. Man, did Jesus stand up in you this morning? Did you see what Jesus stand up in you this morning? Sonny, did Jesus stand up in you this morning? Strange, Jesus stand up in you? Brother Patrick, did Jesus stand up in you this morning? Man, he stood up in me. You know, sister, when we were praying for you Wednesday night, I didn't pray for you to be healed. I pray Jesus would stand up in you in the midst of that sickness. See, if I could just get Jesus there. See, I don't want to just call forth your healing. I want Jesus to stand right there. See? God. This is an indictment against formal Dry, dead, lukewarm Pentecostals. It's nauseating in the Son of God to have a dead, dry, formal Pentecostal when Jesus should be seen in you.
But pastor, I got problems. And Stephen didn't. Get, we need to get off our pity party. Stop sucking our thumb. Let Jesus stand up in us. You see, Stephen, well, you know, I got problems, brother Peter. I don't know if I could do this, man. Look at that. I got problems all around me. No, he let Jesus stand up in him. Hi. Come on, somebody. I'm a Pentecostal apostolic, but there's one thing that I cannot stand. And that's a dead Pentecostal. Because they are no better than that council that was sitting there in judgment against Stephen. No better, honey. And if you're, if the shoe, if the shoe fits it, wear it. You are no better. If you don't have God standing in you, you are no better. You are no better. I am no better. If I stand up here and preach without the anointing of God, and Jesus doesn't stand up in me, I am no better than any formal preacher that stood in their pulpit today. I am no better than that. And that makes God sick. Because he died that he might stand up. Well, pastor, I don't like your destructive criticism. Well, that's why you won't be here very long. You won't be here long. You won't be here long. You say with your mouth you will. No. You won't be here long. Because Jesus is going to stand up. And when he stands up, religious people are going to get mad. <laughs> now, I want to share something with you, though. And I've and I, I got to say this fast. The Bible talks about that grace and power was seen in him. Okay? So, what that means is this. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's grace. Right? You hear? That was seen in Stephen. All right? Grace. But at the same time, Jesus said this. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. So on the one hand, he says, come unto me, all you that labor heavy. He said, now, but if you do come, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Which caused many people not to dare to come. So always in the operation of God, you have His power and His grace at the same time. His grace says come, but His power says this is the way you come. So don't you try to put God in a box and make Him some kind of sentimental Santa Claus. No, He's, he's a God of grace. He really is, but He's a God of power. So He'll say come, then He'll give you the conditions for coming, which will cause you almost to dare not to come. This is not no sentimental Santa Claus you serve. Hallelujah. And, and so I, and I said all that to say this, you know, don't try to put me in your box because you'll never succeed. You will never succeed. Never. Never will you succeed. I said you'll never succeed. Never. Never. Because I've tried. And I didn't succeed. 
I didn't, man. Because what, what, what happens when I try, you know, to put myself in and get real, you know, all this stuff, then all of a sudden something stands up in me. I'm telling you the truth. So if I can't succeed, you can't succeed. Hello. How many of y'all love Jesus? How many of you, Jesus, stood up in you? Well, I think I lost, I think I lost a few of you when I told you about your bread and your fish just being cut off. <laughs> That's when some of you left church, man. They're not going to set up a distribution center, you know. <laughs> no communal living for me. I thought that was a Bible institution. <laughs> Take, what is it? Take care of me. <laughs> God's good, isn't he? Did this help anybody? Praise God. Well, go home. Hallelujah. I'm going to let you out early. Good night. <laughs> Five o'clock, Bible study. 5.30, prayer. 6 o'clock, preaching and church. We got a busy day. See you tonight at 5. Question is, do we eat at 5? And the answer is, yes, we eat at 5. That's what the little old lady in the rest home said. Do we eat at five? Every time we'd go to have rest home services, she'd say, do we eat at five? Be one o'clock. Do we eat at five? We eat at five. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Brother Mark, we eat at five. Hallelujah.